Jesus, show us how to use all the great wealth that you have given us to not just improve our lives, but give our lives away as you showed us how to do. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Welcome to those of you in person, those of you joining us online. Um, almost 500 people a week join us online for worship. Did you know that? It's like a medium-sized church. That's a good-sized church, so it's kind of cool. We're glad to have you, um, unless there's no camera back there, in which case, whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding about that. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called I'll Pretend You Didn't Say That. I'll Pretend You Didn't Say That, looking at things that Jesus said and uh, some of them strange, some of them very clear, but just things we'd rather he didn't say. We kind of just want to ignore. And we're looking at those things to find out uh, what's sort of in it for us. What does God have to say for us? And today I want to talk about just one little thing that I think for the most part we all do a great job of pretending we didn't hear. In this whole little story, one of the, the key kind of anchor piece, I think, is love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. So this morning, we're just going to have a one-point sermon. Now, the, the Presbyterians in here are getting real nervous. They're like, that's only a third of a sermon, man. What do you do? That's not one-point sermon. I don't know about this. But just hang with me because this morning, we're not going to think kind of these big three-point ideas. We're going to think small one-point ideas about what we can do to love our neighbors as ourselves and to experience life more fully. Let me start with a story. It's a true story of me in the sixth grade, so you know it's going to be a bad story, an embarrassing story. One night in sixth grade, I stayed awake all night thinking of a speech. No one had prompted me to give a speech. I was not like on a list to deliver a speech, but I was thinking of this speech, and the speech was a direct response to what I thought was kind of this great injustice. It was going on in our classroom. I don't remember what the injustice was. I just know I felt very passionate about it. And so I stayed awake all night thinking of this speech. And I knew in my imagination that once I started giving this speech in class the next day, all my classmates, who at first maybe they wouldn't understand what's going on because they just weren't quite up to my level. They wouldn't get it. But then as I was, my words were just rolling out smoothly, they would just get on board. They'd be like, yeah, yeah, what he said. Yeah, we're with him. Yeah, teacher, like you need to live. This is, yes, you're our God, Jesse. This is amazing. These words that you're saying, I still, like even these many years later, that's still kind of my dream. So, um, <laughs> which is weird and sad. But I laid awake the whole night thinking of it, and I thought about how, you know, I'm going to sh share these words. My classmates are going to be with me. My teacher's going to cry these big, repentant tears. It's just going to be amazing. The, the girl I had a crush on, Thelma, she was, you know, she hadn't talked to me, but now she was just going to, like, it's over. We're married. Like, it's awesome. This is what's going to happen. So I practiced all night, got up the next day having not slept, went to class, somewhere right around social studies. I raised my hand because I knew this was the time. Raised my hand, and the teacher called on me, and a little suspicious. It wasn't really raising hand time. And uh, I said, Mr. DeRuiter, I have something very important to say to the class. All right. So very graciously, for some reason, he let me start going. And so I started my speech that I'd been rehearsing all night long. And in my mind, it was beautiful. In my mind, things were going just as I had anticipated until about halfway through when I realized, kind of opened my eyes to what was going on around me. Everyone was looking at me like I was crazy. 
The teacher had no idea what I was talking about. None of the students had any idea what I was talking about. Velma was like inching further away from me like, rather than closer to me. Like, it was a disaster. And once I finally cued into this, I just like mumbled a couple of quick sentences in conclusion and then sat down. And my teacher was like, okay, thank you uh, for that. And inside, you know that he was thinking like, need to get that kid an appointment with the school psychologist because that's <laughs> whatever that is, we got to stop that right there. That's scary, but it was just sad, really. Kind of, and I've got a lot of those kind of stories, really, of like aiming big, here's the big dream, here's the big plan, and it sort of falls short, and it's kind of sad, and maybe, hopefully, you don't have one as pathetic as that, but I know that we've all got a story like that. We've all got a story of like, I'm going to make a big impact, I'm going to make a big difference, I'm going to do something that makes a big change, and it's going to be big, and it's going to be awesome, and then it just falls flat. It falls apart, and it leaves us disappointed. Like, I thought that was it. And it leaves us disoriented. Like, what happened? I, I thought I was doing exactly what I was supposed to be doing, and it all fell apart, and we, it leaves us discouraged. Do I matter? Does this matter? Like, do I matter? We all have a story like that. Hopefully not quite as sad, but it leaves you feeling that same way of just like, uh, I thought I had it figured out, and I don't. From the time when we're kids, we're, we're raised to think big, dream big, aim high. That's our culture, right? It values big things, a big house, a big salary, a big reputation, a big title, a big social media reach, a big following. It's naturally in us to want to lead big lives, and you have big plans. You have big dreams. You want to do big things for God like I do. You want to have a big impact. You want to live a big, significant life. You've got big expectations of yourselves, of your kids. We all do. We all want a supersized life. We want to have a big life. And I believe that desire to have a big influence in the world is not a bad thing. Not altogether bad. In fact, at the core of it, I think there's something really good because I believe it's part of how we bear the image of God, the desire to make, to create, to do big things. It's part of our way of bearing God's image. We were created to create, to cultivate, to steward the whole planet with love and justice and mercy. We were made for big things, and that's a good thing. But we also know that in our quest for big things, things don't always work out. In fact, sometimes we feel like we've aimed for this, for the right thing, and we've missed it. And we're left sort of wondering, what's going on? What's the point? Well, there's a story from the Bible about a guy like this, a guy like us, who's aiming for big things. He's living big. He's dreaming big. He's moving in big ways, wants to have a big impact. And in his encounter with Jesus, he discovers that the big stuff that he's aiming for kind of misses the whole point of life, at least the kind of life Jesus was offering to him. Here's how it happens. While Jesus is kind of teaching from town to town and moving around and healing folks and interacting with people, this guy comes up to Jesus. Here's what we know about this guy from, from Matthew. He's rich and he's young and he's hungry for answers. He's hungry to make a difference. He's a go-getter. He probably inherited some of the money he's got, but he's not going to let it rest there. He's going to capitalize on that wealth. He's going to make something bigger out of it. And he wants to be rich in every area of his life. You kind of sense this hunger in him. 
God, what, Jesus, what must I do to, to inherit this quality of life? He wants a big life, good relationships. He wants to be generous. He wants a healthy spirituality, all these things. He wants to be powerful, well-balanced, living a life that's good for him, that's good for others. What's wrong with that? Wouldn't 21st century American Christianity sort of agree that's, that's the good life right there? And we can imagine that this young guy has probably heard of Jesus. Maybe he's even heard Jesus teach. And he kind of senses there's something special about Jesus. There's something big going on here. And where there's something big going on, he wants in. And he kind of senses this is a big opportunity. So he comes up to Jesus with this question he's probably been practicing, probably been rehearsing, because this is a big moment. I'm going to take advantage of this in a big way. And he asks Jesus this, what do I got to do? What's the secret? What's that one lever that I can pull that I'm not yet pulling that's going to make life huge? What's that thing I can do to leverage all of who I am for the good of the world? In other words, Jesus, I'm going to have a big life. I'm going to have a big impact for good. And it seems like you might have a secret that could help me do this even bigger. So what's the secret? Isn't that just like us? What's that secret? What's that thing? What's that? If we could just have this relationship, if this job just worked out, if this opportunity came together, it's all going to work out. It's all going to make sense. And Jesus knows the heart of this go-getter, and he knows the hearts of us go-getters. He knows us. And so knowing this man's heart, Jesus subtly draws out what's really deep inside this guy, what's really deep inside us. And he does it kind of playfully. He does it by sort of pointing out, uh, kind of coming back with his question with sort of a, a, a paradigm of how the real life, the good life, the life that he's actually after, how it looks. And so he lists five of the six commandments that have to do with human relationships. As you may know, out of the Ten Commandments, four are kind of directed right toward God. And the other six are sort of about us, how we love each other, which probably says a lot about loving each other is pretty important. There's six of those, four of those, like Somehow this all goes together. So Jesus lists these horizontal commandments, the one that have to do with loving each other, and he concludes it with love your neighbor as yourself, kind of wraps it up in that package. That's what you gotta do. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you can hear this rich young guy going, hmm, this is good. Because he was raised in this culture, this Jewish culture. He knows the values. He's lived those values probably better than a lot of other people. So he's like, yeah, didn't kill anybody this week. Check, done. Didn't really have adultery, so that's, you know, check that, that's done. You know, these other things, Jesus, I got this. Love your neighbor as yourself. I got this stuff, so what's the real secret? What's the real, give me the real stuff. I'm ready, I'm ready to go big. Jesus, knowing his heart, that he glossed right past the whole point he was trying to make, that this is what matters, how we love each other. He says this to him. He says, okay. If you want what's truly biggest of all, sell everything you got, give it to the poor, then come follow me. And the rich young guy is probably not real happy at this point. In fact, we know from scripture, he's sad. He's like, what do you, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, no, 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 no. That's not what I was, this, like, what's the secret? The thing that's gonna launch me, launch big. I'm gonna do lots of good things for your kingdom, Jesus. Like, what's gonna launch it? Give it all away. All the stuff that you're depending on to prop yourself up in the world, to make yourself feel okay, to make yourself feel like you matter, get rid of it 
and come follow me. And so the Bible says the rich young guy went away sad because he had a lot of wealth. A lot of stuff he was relying on to prop himself up in the world. Not unlike us. Regardless of where we're at financially. As the rich young guy slinks away, Jesus turns to his disciples and kind of starts to explain that interaction. And he talks about why it's so hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. He says it's so hard because that stuff is getting in the way of loving your neighbor, of doing all this stuff that I commanded. All your props, all your masks, all that stuff is getting in the way if you don't get rid of it. And Jesus' disciples are, are shocked. Just like the rich young guy, they're, they're shocked. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. How can anyone then enter the kingdom of God if this guy can't do it? Like, he's got it all. He's got everything's working for him. And he can't get in? We actually did leave everything to follow you, Jesus. Like, what chance is there? Now, I would have thought they would breathe a sigh of relief as though it's like, well, we're not rich, so we're in. It's fine. We're safe. Maybe that's how you're feeling right now. But Jesus isn't really addressing material wealth. It's not so much whether you have a lot or you don't have much at all. It's about we've all got something that we're leaning on to prop ourselves up. To make us feel like we matter. So they don't respond, well, we're not rich, so we're in. In fact, they somehow know that regardless of their lack of material wealth and their lack of influence in the world, that they kind of want the same stuff that the rich young guy does. We want something big, Jesus. In fact, that's why we left everything to follow you. We want something big. We have a pretty good idea of what it is. As we know from Scripture later, it's going to be different than what they thought it was. So Jesus once again turns the tables on everything they believed about how the world works. Isn't that just like God's economy? It's almost the exact opposite of everything that we do. We want big. We want big. Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, Jesus, but, but uh, got that. What's the real secret to success? How do we get the really big life, the life that really matters? Get rid of all the stuff that you use to prop yourself up and very practically love your neighbor as yourself. Stop thinking big and start thinking small. Think small. In fact, throughout the Gospels, when Jesus is describing what his kingdom is really like, and his kingdom is that place where what he wants done is done by everyone all the time, that's what the kingdom means. When he's describing what the kingdom is like, to so those of us who don't really get it, he describes it as very small things. He says the kingdom is like a seed. It's like a seed, a tiny seed that goes on the ground and dies and sprouts into this massive tree. In another place, he says the kingdom is like this tiny treasure, like a pearl that's buried in this big old field and, and somebody comes upon it and discovers it and then sells everything he has to buy this big old chunk of dirt just so we could have that little piece of treasure. Something so valuable, he trade everything for it. And his kingdom is like a narrow road. Scott Dudley talked about this a couple weeks ago. No matter how appealing the wide road seems, no matter how much the cars are shiny, no matter how straight those lanes are, no matter how wide, no matter how nicely manicured the landscaping is on the side, that's the road that leads to death. It's the narrow road, the small one that leads to life. Again and again, Jesus says, your big thinking is getting in the way of you experiencing the fullness of life 
as I intended. To experience the fullness of life that actually satisfies, you've got to think small. Mustard seed, small. Tiny treasure, small. Narrow road, small. Not even save the world, love your neighbor. Not even change the whole neighborhood, love your neighbor. Think small. But the rich young guy doesn't get it because he's aiming for the wrong kind of big. It doesn't line up with how he measured things out. So he kind of misses it. He's aiming for the wrong kind of big and he ends up getting a small life. And this is just like us. We've got those sixth grade, give a powerful speech, change the world kind of dreams in us. Whatever form it is, we've got that in us. So much of that is a good thing. But in our frustration to get what we want the way we want, we aim for the wrong kind of big things, and so we miss life altogether. We don't want the tiny treasure buried in the field. We want the whole darn field and everything around it so we can put up buildings and people will be impressed. We don't want to make our way down a narrow road. We want to be on the highway, soaring along with everyone else. Like the rich young guy, we're aiming for our version of a big life, and we're often missing the point of life altogether. So then is there any hope in this process, in this whole thing? I mean, we know that tension. We kind of know intuitively, like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't spend as much time on this project, this work thing, on this whatever it is, but we still can't help ourselves. We got to go after it because we need that significance. We need that big life. Jesus says, I get that. After Jesus told his disciples why it's so hard to let go of those safety nets that we all have, And follow him after he says that. He says this, with humans, yeah, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Even learning to think small in a world that can only think big. And here's where we finally come to that one point I mentioned. One point sermon. So if you guys forget the point, that's on you. I've tried to be funny. I've tried to be, like all that stuff is there. It's on you. So one point. So here's my one point. It's a statement. It's a statement that I can take no credit for. I completely ripped it off from one of my favorite preachers named Andy Stanley. And in this little statement, I think it kind of conveys really simply how we can both think small and love our neighbor as ourselves. The statement is this. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Yeah, that's how I felt too when I heard that. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Now, other great leaders throughout history have said versions of this same kind of thing. But, it, but this one kind of grabs it for me, who, who tends to focus too wide, who doesn't want to just focus on one. Put into practice what Jesus valued as big. Think small. Aim for one person you could love the way that Jesus loves. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Can you imagine what would happen if we started to take this idea seriously? What if we started aiming small rather than big? What if we stopped worrying so much about having a wider reach, a bigger platform, a better reputation, a growing influence, a larger bank account? What if we even stopped worried about like growing into a bigger church with a bigger reach? What if we stopped aiming for those things and started thinking small, started thinking deep rather than wide? One rather than many. What would that look like? Now, as a big church, we've got big arms, some big muscles, some big reach. I think we're doing some big things in the community. That's all great. I'm excited to be part of a church that does those things. But I suspect 
that we can have an impact way beyond anything we are currently experiencing, way beyond anything we could even imagine if we were to think in terms of deep rather than wide. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. In fact, I think this is central to all of that revival that we keep talking about. Like if we really want to see God's spirit move, Holy Spirit come, yes, he says, love your neighbor. God, I'm really trying to work and change my neighborhood. Cool, love your neighbor. Pick one, go. This is what Jesus did. He focused on these 12 guys. Out of those 12 guys, there's like three that he was especially close to. Out of those three, there was one that he was even closer to. He thought small, he focused small because he knew that had the greatest opportunity for impact. In fact, Jesus' life was just puny during his lifetime, had hardly any impact on the world. But over the centuries, his life began to take on new life and energy and spread until the whole world was changed. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking because I tend to think it too because I want to be fair. Like, what do you mean just pick one? Like, everybody's got needs, right? Everybody needs help. Like, we need to focus. We need everybody. Like, the more, that's better. More is better. No, that's just American, okay? (laughs) I'm an American, by the way. More is not necessarily better. We need to go deeper, deeper. And God says to us, you're not God. I am. And in the person of Jesus, not even Jesus healed everyone he came in contact with. Not even Jesus shared everything about the kingdom of God with everyone he came in contact with. Not because he couldn't. Not because he didn't want to. He just knew he had to invest deeply. So deep that it didn't make any logical sense to anyone around him. But he knew that that would ultimately transform everything about everything. You and I live very wide lives. We live wide lives. We are spread thin. We are so busy, so stretched, so indebted, so hurried. God says we're often aiming for the wrong big things and all of that hurry. He says, trust me, follow me. I'm the multiplier, not you. I'm the multiplier, not you. Drop your delusions of grandeur. Stop planning that perfect speech that's going to save your sixth grade class or whatever version you have of that. Your influence is significant, but it is very small, so think small. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Now, I suspect many of us have someone on our mind right now, maybe a classmate or a coworker or someone in our extended circle of relationships that, man, if I would just focus, or maybe you feel like a little nudge to just focus, just be consistent. One person we could love on, invest more deeply in, one person at work, in our families, in our friends, at school, at work. What would happen if you let go of the need to help everybody, which, by the way, doesn't help anybody very often? What if we let go of that need and started helping somebody? One person. What if you picked one of your actual physical neighbors, one of those people that actually lives physically near you, and just focused on them, made them some cookies, asked about their life, got to know their story, invested in a long-term relationship with them? Not with some weird agenda, just because Jesus loves them. 
And so they're worthy to be loved. What if you picked one person you passed by every Sunday in church? There's nothing more amazing than to see this service empty out after it's done, right? And that's not a bad thing. It's just that we have, we got our kids up there. We got this stuff going on. It's the way we've set it up. Not on you. It's on us. But it's amazing that hundreds of people can evacuate in two minutes from this space. It means it's, it's hard to cross paths with each other. So what if we just picked one? Just picked one. What would happen if we started loving deep rather than wide? That kind of love is viral. That kind of love is world-changing. When we do for one what we wish we could do for everyone, tiny seeds over time become massive forests. We experience the fullest life possible, the life that we're aching for, the life where we're doing everything we can to prop ourselves up and try to feel. That's the kind of life that comes from thinking small, a truly big life but you gotta think small. As small as one man in a tiny part of the world who was classified a criminal and put to death, a man who didn't hardly make a dent in the world when he was alive, but like a seed that's buried in the ground and dies and comes back as this massive tree that drops other seeds that go into the ground and die and come up as other trees until there is a forest. Jesus' tiny, seemingly insignificant at the time life became life for every single person here for every single person outside of these doors. Anyone who wanted life now had access to it because Jesus went deep. We've got it upside down so much of the time. We've got to let go of our version of the big life, whatever is propping ourselves up, and we've got to learn to love our neighbor practically, doing for one what we wish we could do for everyone. So this week, let's play with it. Let's practice that. I know it might be scary. It might be a little hard to do. Like, what should I do? I tend to think of like, okay, I'll pick one, but then I'm really going to go big with this one. Like, it's just going to be a tremendous, lavish, just small cookies, a note, sharing something. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. With humans, this is impossible. It won't turn into anything. With God, all things are possible. And in fact, this is how his kingdom works. This is how we experience his life. So let's pray. Jesus, God, you see our hearts and you know that we're doing our best. We want to be good stewards of the lives that you've given us, and that's a good thing. You've made us to create and to cultivate, but in the midst of that, it's so easy for me to forget that it's about you, not about me. You're the multiplier, not me. So Jesus, would you help us as a people learn to do for one what we wish we could do for all people so that our lives would go deep so that your life would go deep in us and in the rest of the world God that you may be glorified and that we would all be set free in Jesus name Amen